Welcome to the We Need to Talk podcast. My name is Grace Presley, and I am a storyteller, writer, artist, and truth seeker. I firmly believe that the deeper we step into our truth, the more universal we find our stories to be. My inspired intention with this podcast is to hold space for you and your vulnerable yet inspiring stories. I invite you to come as you are, peel back the layers, and know that your story is worth loving. Join me each week as I share powerful interviews and inspiring stories with women that not only have found their voice, they have set aside their should-bes and not good enoughs and are standing in their truth. These women are you, and you have that incredible power inside of you as well. It's right there. Can you feel it? Hello, and welcome back to the show, to the We Need to Talk podcast with Grace Presley and Kimberly Borges. We are super excited to introduce you to Ali Owen and have you listen to this really uh, powerful conversation that we have with Ali and just a little info about who Ali is. So Ali Owen is an intuitive alignment coach, a writer, and a podcast host herself. She is a recovering overachiever. She graduated at age 24 with a master's in engineering. Um, she has hiked two of the tallest peaks in the world and has traveled to six continents. Uh, she really dives into her story of this you know, previous version of herself working the really successful, quote unquote, successful job in corporate America and sort of what was the impetus to split off from that normal, typical path where she and her husband are now traveling around the country in a camper van that they fixed up and are, you know, just living life on their terms. So I'm really excited to share Allie with you, especially if you are feeling the same calling, if you are maybe sitting in an office or working at a job that just feels really unfulfilling to you. Maybe it checks off a lot of societal boxes, but is ultimately not what is going to sustain you in life, in your mind, body, and soul. Then this is the conversation that you need to listen to. So here we go. Guys, I'm super excited today to introduce you to Allie Owen, um, a super awesome girl, super powerful. She has an awesome story to share. Um, and we're going to dive deep into that and um, talk about her story as well as um, talk about how she's kind of managed through that and how she's got to where she is today. So Allie, I'm so excited to have you today and to be able to like hear your story and to share it with um, our followers and let them get to know you um, and also have you share those parts of yourself. So welcome. Thank you, Kimberly and Grace. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, just give the listeners just a little bit um, about who you are. Just go ahead and like dive into who is Allie Owen? So I'll give the brief version because <laughs> we could be here all day. <laughs> um, and it's still evolving. The story is definitely still evolving. Um, but basically, a, uh, I was raised in a pretty Christian conservative environment. And I was told that I needed to save myself till marriage. And that's what I was like planning to do. Um, and then whenever I graduated college, I just really wanted to travel. So I ended up like going down to South America and I was in uh, Chile for a semester and yeah I ended up meeting someone there and we kind of started dating and um, then eventually he raped me which was at the time like I didn't realize it was rape because I was like dating him and I thought that part of it was my responsibility part of it was my fault and um, I really took that shame and that blame on myself for many years like probably three years after that. And it kind of subconsciously defined a lot of my uh, actions and who I was following that experience. So after that experience, I found myself like overachieving and trying to prove myself worth in um, academics. Like I went and got a master's in engineering, which was not something I was ever passionate about. I just wanted to like prove to myself that I could do it. I ended up like hiking the tallest mountain in Africa and in the US. And I just found myself like coming to a breaking point after all of that. Like, like I'm like, 
I can't keep achieving more to keep trying to prove myself worth because every time I try to achieve more, I just feel like I need to do another thing. Like there's never enough things I can do to like be worthy. And so I ended up facing that trauma that had happened in my past and started going to counseling and really owned my story and let go of the shame and and rightly placed the blame onto him and forgave myself and forgave him for that whole experience. And now I've come into wanting to help other women to do the same because I feel so many of us have traumas. It might not be sexual, but just like even any traumas that might subconsciously define us and be shaping who we are. And that might not be the person that we want to be, or that might not be, you know, living up to our full extent of who we are and who, you know, we can be. So. Yeah. Um, so you talked about, uh, growing up in a very Christian household, like Mm -hmm. what were kind of those, those ideas or kind of the, um, you you know, that your parents are like the, the church and like placed on you, um, before the, like the story of who they told you that you were, you know, before this happened to you. And it kind of comes around full circle into finding out, you know, the story you tell yourself of who you actually are. So what are those points of like, like, who were you before this happened to you? You know? Yeah. So I, I actually, my, my parents are divorced and I actually was really, really kind of obsessed with having a healthy marriage because both of my parents are divorced. They've been both divorced twice. And so I kind of latched on to this idea from the church that if you save yourself before marriage, like you'll be guaranteed to have a healthy marriage. And that's kind of what they, I mean, they didn't really outwardly preach that, but it was like subconsciously, you know, like you have to do this to have a healthy Christian biblical marriage. And so I thought that in order for me to be worthy of love and worthy of um, a healthy marriage, then I have to remain pure and um, not give into temptations, so to speak. <laughs> and so I think I, I, sub, I subconsciously let that completely affect my self-worth. And then whenever it was taken from me, it was just like, you know, where's my self-worth now? I don't have any, like I have to prove myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you uh, have any examples? Your parents are divorced. Uh, Mm -hmm. Did you have examples of what a quote unquote, like healthy relationship look like growing up? Or did, was it like kind of based off of the Bible or like the teachings or were there like actually like real people in front of you with loving, healthy relationships? So I had a few like family friends who I saw their, their marriages and their relationships, but I wouldn't say it was like we were close or, you know, that I was really intimately involved in their lives or, you know, in, and they were mentoring me per se, or, or kind of like showing me what it was a healthy marriage. It was kind of like from a distance mm-hmm. and it's always hard to tell how healthy a marriage is from right. a distance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of just curious, like what, what is the definition that you thought of as a healthy marriage? Like what was the idea that you had in your head growing up of what it looked like to be happy with another person? And, and is it the same now or is it different now? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I think I, I definitely thought that having a healthy marriage, you have to be like super Christian and be always going to church and like super heavily involved in the church And now I, I'm still a Christian, but I don't agree that you have to be like a Bible, like by the Bible, every, you know, every, you have to, I don't believe that you have to, you, I don't even believe you have to be a Christian to have a healthy marriage. I think you can be any religion and have a healthy marriage. Like, I don't think your faith or your religion should plays a role in, in your marriage health. And that, you know, the divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is not in the church. So that just, you know. It doesn't mean have being a Christian doesn't mean you're guaranteed a healthy marriage at all. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've I've definitely changed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I um I can that resonates so much with me too because I grew up in a single parent household and so for me uh, during my marriage just having like um like that was what you kind of. Uh, 
just clung to, or I clung to like mm -hmm. keeping my family together no matter what. And so allowing all of these things to happen to me during my marriage, like I could mm -hmm. justify that. And I had no idea before any idea of what a healthy marriage looked like, but I just knew I wanted to keep my family together because for me, I didn't want to have Sawyer grow up in a single parent household. So you know, the abuse and the domestic violence and stuff like that, like I kept justifying it. But now once you kind of, so for you, you've gone through, um, you know, this relationship um, and now you can kind of look back on that 2020 mm -hmm. as to, you know, also having your idea of what a healthy marriage look like, but now having your, your own idea of that and then going through this relationship. So you're able to look at both of those, I think in hindsight with 2020 vision and come up with this, this new idea of what your spirituality looks like and what your idea of a relationship looks like and, um, what a marriage should be, you know, regardless of whether that's Christian or not. And that's, you know, that's super powerful, like moving forward and like stepping into what that looks like for you. Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, eventually kids and being able to reflect that onto them because, you know, we're products of our, of our environments, but mm -hmm. also, you know, those stories that, that we hold on to or that we tell ourselves and then what we tell our children too. So definitely. And now that I, I see, I think I glorified marriage in a lot of ways because I am married now. And I think I thought that, you know, whenever you got married, like you would feel completely loved and like completely held. And, and yeah, there's like, it's great to have a life partner, but there's definitely, it's not like, it doesn't live up to all the expectations that I think the church and even like society, you know, Disney movies put on us that when we get married, like everything's rosy and beautiful. And now I see, you know, my, I used to be so scared of divorce too. And that was like a huge um, thing that I just wanted to avoid. And now like a lot of my friends have gone through divorces and I just see that some, it is necessary. I mean, I don't, I don't think, um, the church is, is right to, or even society is right to be like judging divorce. Um, and then I look back on my childhood and I'm like, you know, yes, it was hard to have my parents divorce, but I wouldn't want it any other way because I've learned so much through, you know, even my step parents and, and all of that, that has shaped me into the person that I am now. Um, and so I think I've definitely changed my view on divorce too. Yeah. 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 You know, you talk about, um, about traveling and mm -hmm. things like that too. Do you think that that um, did you do that after this incident happened to you? Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit more about that, um, traveling to, um, let's see, the tallest mountain in Africa. And so was it how many continents? Like 48? <laughs> six no, continents. Even yeah. Countries. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, six I'm also a huge traveler and I've yeah, been to yeah. a lot of places. So we're kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah. yeah awesome. I, so did you find like, like you traveled after that? Did you... Did you want to travel before? Was this something that happened after this incident to like find yourself and like find, you know, where you kind of, you know, to kind of rewrite those stories, you know? Oh, travel has been immensely impactful on rewriting those stories and, and also just gaining perspective too. I think traveling, especially to third world countries, and you see how they live and, and how they're happy with what they have. And, you know, they have not been given 90% of the privileges that I've been given. And so I think going and experiencing other, how other people live and seeing what brings them joy really puts into perspective my problems <laughs> and you know yeah you know stuff is going to happen to everyone like mm -hmm. crap happens and you know people are going to hurt you and and people are um it's, it's just going to happen but having that perspective that like that that isn't going to define you and that um there are people still with with harder life struggles and you know you if you are in a group of people and you throw your problems into the center, like you'll grab yours right back. Um, because it's like, everyone's going through something. And I think traveling and also just like meeting people while I'm traveling 
and just like being vulnerable and open with them and, and knowing like, I'm probably never going to see them again (laughs) and, um, them sharing their stories and, you know, similar to what you guys are doing on this podcast, like just sharing stories and sharing the truth and the vulnerability behind, um, everyone's lives is like really empowering and just opens up other people to feel, you know, less shame about their stories and what they're going through. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, I had a question of, so I'm really fascinated with the process of healing trauma. Mm -hmm. And so listening to your story, there's, and for a lot of people, it might be, um, there's like the main thing that happens. Like it's either like one incident or maybe it's years of abuse, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's like one definable thing that happens that traumatizes us. Mm -hmm. But I think that we tend to not deal with that trauma. And then Mm -hmm. there's a journey and a process of re-traumatizing ourselves and walking down the path uh, through our life without actually dealing with the thing that happened and that we need Mm -hmm. to heal. And so, you know, you had uh, this horrible thing happen to you in South America. And then you said it took you about three years Mm -hmm. after that point to actually deal with it. And so what I'm really fascinated with is like letting people, like cluing people in onto that path of where they're avoiding the trauma and can Mm -hmm. actually start healing and letting them know what it feels like to be in that state of not dealing with our issues. um, That's really just re-traumatizing us. And so that they can Mm -hmm. understand what it feels like and then be able to see am I doing that to myself? Do I need Mm -hmm. to like readjust and maybe start thinking about other things? So I know that was like a very long explanation, but I kind of want to go back to after this happened to you in South America, what did it feel like those next three years, like looking Mm -hmm. back on it now, what did it feel like to be kind of ignoring what was going on and not really understanding the full scope of how it was affecting you? Does that make totally, sense? Totally. <laughs> totally. Okay. Yeah. So I would say to someone who, you know, may be having a trauma and, and not facing it yet, I would say, look at the symptoms of your life. So I don't, I don't think, um, for me, I, I even was conscious that I was avoiding my trauma. And I think for many people, they're not conscious of, of avoiding it either because they don't think it's trauma or, you know, they just want to suppress it because it hurts too much to bring it back up. But for me, I, I noticed I was overachieving in so many aspects of my life. Like I, I could never be enough and I could never be worthy of love. And I tried to just keep asking questions. And so I would just um, give the advice of get curious with, with why, you know, you're behaving in certain ways and, you know, it might be different for you. You might not be overachieving. You might be underachieving. You know, you might be like, um, F this life, like I'm going to stop trying, you know, and, um, because everyone's just going to hurt me. And if you have that attitude, I would just ask yourself, like, why just get curious around it. Don't be judgmental to yourself. Um, just kind of start asking yourself the questions that you might not want to deal with. And also if you think that, um, you might be subconsciously being defined by trauma, get help too. You know, there's, I think, counseling was huge for me going through counseling and re reframing that story of trauma um, and taking the shame and the blame off of myself. And um, it was, it was re-traumatizing going through counseling though, because I had to face every single detail again, but it was so worth it. And so anyone who might be afraid of, of re going through that and re lifting that up, like, yes, it's going to be so hard and so scary but it will be worth it. I 100% promise you. Yes, I agree. So Mm -hmm. worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's super powerful too, what you said. I think too, that people don't necessarily realize um, some of these events are traumatic or like like that you can call it trauma. Like uh, uh, one of the things you said, you know, it, it took you a really long time to be able to call this traumatic event rape. And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of people aren't even conscious of the trauma. I know for me in therapy, um, dealing with PTSD, I would Mm -hmm. like all these things were like flying at me, anxiety, and, um, I would have panic attacks and in a parking lot and Walmart, and I had no idea what was going on. So all this, this trauma is happening, but perhaps that they're not conscious of it. And so Mm -hmm. what was that point where you were able to like 
maybe you were always completely conscious of the trauma. I, I don't know. No, no, I would say I was definitely not for a, for a while. I was, yeah, like you said, I was just kind of avoiding it and I didn't really even know it was trauma. I thought like it, it was just my fault and you know, that, that I shouldn't have been drinking alcohol. I shouldn't have been like even with this person. Um, and so, yeah, I think like you said, those symptoms like anxiety and depression, those will definitely come up like immediately after the trauma, I was, um, pretty much like depressed for three months, um, where I was just like staying at my, I I lived at home. I was like staying at my dad's house. I just like, didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to go out on dates. Like I think seeing yourself like these symptoms will come up if something traumatic has happened. If, if, you know, depression could be a lifelong illness. And so I don't think, um, you know, just because you're depressed, that means you've had trauma, but it might be something to get curious around. Yeah. Yeah. I think the truth will manifest in some way, you know, Mm -hmm. throughout, like it's going to come out in some manner. So um, for, for me personally, that my truth came out and like, uh, eating disorders or and um, I was drinking too much alcohol at that time like trying to avoid exactly what was going on so why did it take so long was it was it therapy or perhaps that helped you realize to be able to call this rape was mm-hmm. it like you know what what allowed you to get to that point of like um, acknowledging that it was a traumatic event and then being able to to say specifically what happened you It was definitely counseling. My counselor was the first one who called it rape. And then that gave me permission to do the same. And then I read this book called why I never called it rape. And it's an expose on acquaintance rape. So it talks about how, um, so many times in society, we think rape is, you know, getting, going on a run and then getting pulled into a dark alley and by, you know, a man in a hoodie, like get, getting raped. But most of the time, I mean, according to the, the research in this book, I think it's like 60% of the time rape is by someone that, you know, and, um, so I think reframing what rape is and changing that in our society, that is also one of my goals because I, I think whenever we, we view rape as this one, this one way it can happen, then we ignore the other, you know, the other people who have experienced rape, but don't know it's rape because that's not what, you know, we're told as, as people in society. Yeah. That's not how the media portrays yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm. my um, ex-husband told me once he said, you can't rape your wife. <laughs> and, uh, just that for a long time, I didn't realize either until. Yeah. Then. So being able to to go to therapy and for them to reflect back to me, this is what happened and giving me permission as well to say that this is, this is what it was. This is what happened. And then, um, you know, maybe internalizing that, but then being able to speak that. So I'm wondering too, I don't know what, at what point besides therapy, were you able to take this story, you know, a very painful one and mm-hmm. be able to actually like, speak it out into the world or, you know, you mentioned like sharing, sharing just different parts of yourself, like on your traveling, but to Mm -hmm. be able to, it's so hard for people and they're so scared and there's so much shame surrounding our story to be able to actually speak that story out and have, you know, people come with open arms and really, you know, I found that they don't judge you for that. Instead, they're like, you know, me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grace and I definitely are on like the same path of tell your stories and and connect with people through those stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So where were you able to do that? Like, do you remember the first time of actually telling somebody that this happened to you or like speaking out out loud or, you know, sharing it through social media? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I started just telling people around me, like I started telling my friends and family what happened and giving, starting to tell them that. And that kind of gave me more momentum to be thinking like, okay, maybe if I can share it with them and, um, they don't judge me and they don't, you know, think, um, negatively of me now, you know, now they think, you know, I think we think a lot of times like vulnerability is weakness when actually vulnerability is strength. And cause whenever we look at vulnerability in other people, we think, wow, they're so strong. 
But when we look at vulnerability in ourselves, we sometimes think weakness and we think other people will perceive that as weakness when actually it's strength. And that's what I discovered in sharing my story, starting with starting small. And I definitely don't think everyone should be sharing or, you know, needs to be sharing their story publicly um, because some people just aren't ready for that or that's not, you know, that's not what they are meant to do. Um, but for me, I felt this like strong calling within me to share it publicly. Um, and so I feel like because of that, I had to listen to it and I had to like take that courage and, and propel it into more momentum to, to start sharing it on. And I started sharing it on, on my blog. That was really where I started. Um, and just receiving feedback from that. Like I remember the first blog post I published about it and I was just like shaking. My whole body was sweating. Like I was just <laughs> having this like yeah. anxiety ridden response. Um, but then like whenever I pressed publish, um, I just like had peace and I just started receiving so much like encouragement and, and feedback from people that I know. And, and also people that I know who were saying like me too, like that has happened to me also people that I've never, you know, we've never talked about that or I wouldn't, I would never assume that would have happened to them. Um, yeah, I think, and, and I, I want to choose my words carefully, but, um, I think it's really cool. Not that these things have happened, but in this day and age that I think it's really cool that we've now have kind of taken off the mask, mm -hmm. especially with like the me too. And we're now able to acknowledge how much this does actually happen. I mm -hmm. think that that's like a really cool step in this, you know, new feminist era um, of equality and, you know, owning our powers and our story. And I just think it's really cool that we get to come together. Not that it's happened. I know. <laughs> but Oh, I totally agree. It's really, it's really cool that the tide feels like it's turning and that we are starting to have more voices and like people are starting to listen and realize that like, Oh, you know, this isn't okay. You know, this, what we're, you know, how society has, has been conditioned is like women have been silenced and now we're having voices. And now that we are all having voices, like we're feeling more empowered and it's like rising and I love it. <laughs> yeah. That actually, so I have a quote of yours. I hope you don't mm -hmm. mind if I, yeah. <laughs> I say it um, and kind of ties in. So uh, you said, I, I think it maybe was on an Instagram post or maybe your blog. I'm not sure, but uh, you are never going to feel like you have enough until you decide you are enough. And I just want to get your perspective on like, how do you decide that you are enough? What does that process look like? Oh my gosh. So that process is, is one you can't just like decide overnight. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Um, but I think it just takes years of doing the inner work and unbecoming what society and everyone else has told you that you need to be. Um, so I think, you know, society and the world tell us, you, you know, we need to have these big houses. We need to always have nicer cars. We need to always be like gaining all of these things um, to make us feel like we are worthy or we, we, and then we also, we have to have these jobs and we have to be like climbing the corporate ladder and be like, you know, always having more and more and more. I think American society is like being capitalistic nature. Like we're told more and more and more all the time. And so um, whenever we slow down and meditation has been huge for me. Meditation and yoga has been huge for me to be able to reflect on some of my subconscious trainings of why am I always feeling like I need more things, you know? Okay, what if I shifted my perspective and just said I, I am enough right now and repeating that to myself and every day, you know, in, in meditation and through affirmations being believing it, it, in the beginning, it didn't feel like, it felt like, felt like I was faking it, you know, but <laughs> once you start really delving into it and we're uh, practicing it consistently, then it starts to become a belief about yourself. Um, and so, yeah, I think meditation yoga has been, has been huge through that. And also just realizing and doing the inner work to ask more questions of like, why am I behaving this way? Why am I believing that I don't have enough. What is it that I feel that makes me feel like that? Yeah. 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 Super powerful. I love that so much. Uh, and it's awesome to see too, you know, these, <clears throat> these things that have happened to you, you know, they happen to you, but they 
um, do not define you. You know, mm-hmm. you found um, you found that I am enough. You know, by defining what that looks like for yourself. You know, and that's you know sometimes that's really hard to to move through that of allowing these past things. Um, they do define you for a little bit, and I mm-hmm. found. Um, for me, they defined me for a long time, um, but I found that no longer identifying with the, those mm-hmm. uh, past stories. Like I no longer, they happened to me, yes, but I no longer identify with them. And it sounds like, you know, yeah. you, you have, uh, you've gotten to that place of, of believing that perhaps as well, or, you mm-hmm. know, uh, changing the trajectory of your life into, you know, moving into something more rather than allowing that to define you. Definitely. Like acknowledging that those experiences have happened, but, and, and they're part of my story, but they are not my story. You know, they aren't, they aren't who, they aren't meant to define me anymore. And using those stories also that we've had for using them for good is also really empowering to kind of take your power back over those stories Mm -hmm. and saying like, instead of letting that, you know, propel me into being a victim and thinking that life is always against me. Like I'm going to empower myself to share that and help other women and use that for good because it's easy. It's a lot easier to just let us, let us be the victim and let us like wallow in our self pity, (laughs) but that doesn't help anyone. That doesn't help ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. Like a victim mindset It is is easy. It's easy to have, but it's also very different than a thriver mindset. And yeah, you've completely shifted your mindset, um, from, from that mode. And I want to say it's not, um, all the time. Like I, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's not, I'm always like on this high vibe, like, you know, thriver mindset. There's definitely moments where just like this past week we had, pretty much our identity stolen on the internet. And I just like felt myself going back to that victim mindset of being like, you know, everyone's trying to attack us. Everyone's trying to like take stuff from us. And, and it was really hard. And in those, I, I let myself feel that though. I didn't like try to immediately get out of it and be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be over this right now. I, I was like, okay, well, this is a feeling I'm feeling. I'm going to let myself feel it. Because I think it's important for me to move through it. (laughs) Yeah. It's all important. Yeah, it is. It is really important to allow yourself to feel that and move through it, but then also be conscious of why you're feeling it and then um, take ownership of that feeling and be like, okay, yeah, this crappy thing happened to me, but I'm going to choose a different story. I'm going to believe that the world is still good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that starts with choice too. And I think realizing you have a choice and- Mm -hmm choosing how you feel like feeling it, allowing yourself to feel it, but reframing that and, and coming back to you had a choice to feel that and then move through it. Totally. A lot of people don't realize that they, they have that choice to feel, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to choose how they feel essentially. Yeah. Yeah. There's a past version of myself that would have been really pissed off at you for saying that. Like I would have just been (laughs) like, I don't have a choice. Like, like who's this be over here, like, <laughs> you know, like, screw her, no, and yeah, it took me a long time to let, to release that story, mm-hmm. um, but what, I it, I, what, oh, what did you do to get there, I'm curious, um, I, I think it took just getting to the point of being really tired of my own bullshit, mm-hmm. because I had, you know, like, a lot of trauma in my life, and there's a certain point at which, I was just re-traumatizing myself by the decisions that I was making and the abusers uh, were no longer there. Uh, The abuser was me. And so Mm -hmm. I had to get, I had to be in enough pain to be like, wait, like what is going on? Like, I don't want to feel like this, but yet I'm continuing to feel like this. So I, I am the common denominator now. And so really just getting tired of my own crap. (laughs) That is powerful that you got there though. I mean, that you were like realized that you kept re-traumatizing yourself or you kept putting yourself in situations that may have re-traumatized you. And Mm -hmm. that is super powerful. That takes a lot of courage too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do. It's hard Mm -hmm. to realize that 
you know, it, it's a common saying, but that life, you know, you can make like life happen for you. You know, it doesn't always happen mm-hmm. to you. There are things you can't control, of course. But of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Life is going to be shitty sometimes <laughs> still. <laughs> and it's yeah. going to be shitty to you. And it's okay to wade through that and like be like, oh, like this sucks. Um, but not allowing yourself to stay there, I think is, mm-hmm. is the key to the thriver mindset is it's not always being a thriver, but it's, it's, getting out of the mud yeah, and being like, okay, I'm going to choose not to stay here because it's shitty here. And why would I want to stay here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel very good. No. Yeah. And I would say to anyone who's listening, who is in the mud and has not ever, who has not done the work yet to get out of the mud. It's, it's like, yeah, you get back in the mud sometimes, but mm-hmm. the more you, you, you know, bring yourself out of it, the easier it gets the next time. So the very first time I think is like the hardest. Um, And then occasionally you fall back in the mud, but getting out (laughs) that second time, it gets easier and easier and it gets quicker. um, At least in my experience. I agree. Yeah, totally. You get developed like a muscle where you're like, Oh, I'm here again. Okay. This is another (laughs) challenge. I'm ready to get out. Like I'm ready to fight this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I would like to know, um, let's see, you know, what, what your life looks like now kind Mm -hmm. of compared to what it, what it was then, you know, Mm -hmm. I know in part of your story, you talk about, um, like leaving, um, like a six figure job to, to travel, um, you know, and, and kind of you find yourself through traveling and everything, but what, what does it look like now for you? Yeah. So I think, I, I really felt like I had to prove myself, you know, to prove my worth. And so I got my, my master's in engineering and I got, um, a job right out of school, uh, and I was making really good money and, but I, I just felt so trapped and I felt so like, I hated, I hate the nine to five. Like if I have to go back, I will, but (laughs) right now I'm, I'm like really enjoying this freedom. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so just, Two months ago, my husband and I both quit our jobs and we self-converted a sprinter van into a camper van. And now we're traveling around the US and getting to that point. So whenever my husband and I first started dating, I I told him I was I hated my job. I've not liked my job this whole time. But I told him I'm like, let's save up money for six months and like quit our jobs. And this was like four years ago. And he was like, why would I do that? Like, I make really good money. Like, this is, this is great. And then it took like three years of me convincing him and, and saving money. He's really conservative. So we've saved a lot of money. And, um, then now he's like, Oh, this is great. Like, why did I resist this? And we also have started some business, some side businesses that we plan on bringing income while we're on the road. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of completely shifted, but that was hard going through that identity of having, being an engineer, you know, when I, I tell people like, like when I was an engineer and I told people I'm an engineer, they were always like, Oh wow. You know, like that's so impressive. And now I tell people I'm a life coach and they're like, Oh, what is that? You yeah. know? <laughs> Yeah, I have a similar experience. So I went back to college later in life and I did it to prove myself. And I got a degree in accounting from like a really prestigious college that had a lot of status. I had the job lined up at a CPA firm, was on the path to take the CPA exams and become a CPA. And I worked there for six months and I was like, this sucks. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's super cool when you say, um, you know, going to be a CPA and I work at this fancy firm and people look at you a certain way, but I was like miserable. I didn't want to be there. It was, they weren't my people. I felt like my soul was dying every day that I was there. (laughs) I, so I quit. <laughs> and then now it's like, what do you do? Uh, you know, yeah, but I, I love what I do. So I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> yeah. I think being when like what you like, like we were talking before, like once you decide that you're enough on your own, that you don't need that title anymore, mm-hmm. then it's like, why am I holding on to this thing that is obviously soul destroying me? You know, is it for the money? Okay. Well, if I need money, can I save up? Can I, can I work for and know that there's an end in sight, like for a year or for six months or whatever, and then quit. Or, you know, I think it's, it's like 
being, once you decide you are enough, then you don't have to have those external titles anymore. And it's still hard. Like there's still that transition of, yeah, of going through the identity crisis almost. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's worth it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge mind mindset shift too, you know, to be able to, to do that. And that's so cool. Like traveling around the United States. So where are you guys right now? Like, we're yeah. in not the most glamorous place. <laughs> so we're in Oklahoma. Um, my dad lives here. So we're visiting my dad and my uh, siblings here. Yeah. Um, and what does your family think about this part of it? So like trying to like prove yourself after that happened. And yeah. I'm sure, you know, it comes with like parental expectations and all those things about what you should do and what your life should look like. I know for me too, you know, when I tell my mom, I'm a labor and delivery nurse, you know, you kind of get that same feedback of, wow, you know, that's so awesome. And like, mom, but I'm so miserable. And so, you know, I, I have created this business. And so what do mm-hmm. your parents think of that from engineer to like owning your own business? What does that look like? I think, so the industry that I was in, uh, was oil and gas and my dad is actually in that same industry. And so he, he really was hesitant towards me mm-hmm. leaving. <laughs> um, and it was really hard for him to understand why I would leave. Um, but then once I really explained to him like my heart behind it and that I really felt like being in this engineering position, even though I was making so much money, I wasn't living up to my full potential. And I tried to explain that to him that, that my full potential isn't having all these nice cars like that doesn't, and, and making a big salary, like that doesn't mean anything to me. Like that's okay if that means something to you. And that's okay if that's what you'd like to do. But for me, um, that's not what's important to me. I, I really want to make an impact. And I felt like in my previous position, I wasn't at all. And so, um, yeah, I think explaining the heart behind it and, and, and you know, telling him, I've, you know, we've saved up for, for four years for this. This isn't like a rash decision. And <laughs> um, explaining that has, has calmed the storm. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the most powerful steps to anyone who's listening um, that wants to change their life is to simply say to yourself, I give myself permission to create my own definition of success, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like making your own definition of what it means to be successful to you and then going out and trying to create that. And, and yeah, I had yes. to like, I think we all have to go through that. Like, mm-hmm. it's totally cool that I don't want the same things that society told me that I should want, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so powerful. Yeah. Because I think we try all these like different things on. We're like, okay, is this what, or or we go down this defined path that society tells us to We go to college, you know, we get the job. And then once you do that, like, it's okay to not be happy. It's okay. And that's what I found myself asking myself. Like once I was in my position, I was like, why am I not happy? Like, this is what everyone told me would make me happy. Or this is what everyone would told me I was supposed to do. And yeah, just definitely giving yourself permission to be like, it's okay that this doesn't make me happy. This might make someone else happy and they should have this job. You know, <laughs> they should be doing this, but it's okay. It's not me. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, like, I feel like, like finding that, that definition of happiness you know, it, it comes in like waves and like, you know, what, what settles with you? Like, I don't know, as far as like your job goes, you know, when you leave high school, you know, you're given like your Myers-Briggs and like Mm -hmm. what, you know, kind of like through your counselor, like what looks good Mm -hmm. for you. And I think we're so set up with like that idea of like that nine to five and um, all the cars and the nice big house. And, you know, that's what society identifies as being happy. And so, you know, just even talking about like your travels and like, um, traveling around the United States, like you're just bubbly and like full of light and, you know, just smiling. And, and that's super powerful too, to live in that truth for you. And so I'm wondering, like, as part of your business, like, um, tell me like a little bit about that and how that, is reflecting on to perhaps like the clients that you teach and like you're, you're serving them, like how, you know, like you're living your truth now and like your mm-hmm. happiness. So how are you teaching them to do that through your business? Yeah. 
So I, I started my business about a year ago and that was when I was still on my job and I found myself like starting it kind of out of a place of desperation. And I found myself starting it because I really wanted to get out of this job. And I was like, I was like, I need to prove myself as a coach. I need to get all these clients right away and I need to, to start making money so I can leave my job. And then I gave myself permission to not do that and to be like, okay, I'm just going to get curious around what makes me come alive. And I'm not going to put all this pressure on myself to be this coach with thousands of clients. I'm just going to kind of see what I really like to do. And so doing that and, and also because we've saved so much, like we don't have to make an income right now. We're, we're okay. So I'm not like, I don't feel the pressure of that. Um, and so, yeah, if, if anyone is like looking into starting their own business and stuff, I, I would totally recommend just getting curious and not just like choosing one thing and going down that path because that's what I did in the beginning was like, I chose coaching and I went down that path. I was like, this is what I have to do. And now I'm, I'm kind of like pulling back a little bit on my coaching. I'm not taking as many clients and I really just love writing. And so I've realized that that is really where I, I find most peace and most fulfillment. Um, and so that has kind of taken some like permission giving though of me being like, okay, it's okay. I can still be a coach, but I don't have to be like the coach with thousands of clients that's making six figures that everyone talks about on the internet. Like I, I can just be a coach who helps a small amount of people. And then most of the time I spend writing and, and working on other things. So yeah, that, that is kind of the process that it has, it has unfolded into. <laughs> Yeah. And I love that. Like being curious about what makes you come alive. Like, mm -hmm. so like we're so not in tune with that usually, mm -hmm. you know, as, as just human beings, like what makes you come alive? And so joining, you know, Kimberly and I were in the same mastermind and I know, um, Amber would kind of reflect that back in some of her things that she would say. And it took me a long time to figure out, like, I don't even know, especially after trauma and those kind of things. Like mm -hmm. I was always told, you know, and parents and, and that kind of stuff. I was always told, I guess, what you should be feeling as far as happiness, not, not what makes you come alive and to get curious around that. Like people don't normally think like that. So yeah, that's really powerful to, to be able, one, to be able to recognize that and two, be able to teach your clients that and reflect that back to them, thus giving them mm -hmm. permission to do that for themselves. And so, and for any of the listeners listening, like, you've always had that permission. It's just recognizing that you have that permission to be curious around that. Mm -hmm. I do also think that it's like a societal thing as, as little girls, as we're growing up versus little boys. Like I think, um, you know, just even in my own experience, boys I saw were taught to explore and mm -hmm. to be adventurous and to go out and try things. And it's okay if you fall off your you know, bike or your tree and that's totally fine. But as a girl, uh, I was expected to be clean and dainty and never get dirty and mm -hmm. you know, don't go out into the world because it's like dangerous and scary. And so I think that's just like a very, very deep belief that a mm -hmm. lot of women have to unlearn and it takes time. Definitely. Yeah. And I think we're told like we have to present it in this like pretty package and like we have to have everything like together and like, you know, have it all worked out and have this pr presentation to the world that like we are this person. And I think allowing ourselves to explore and get that curious again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, really like like try on these different hats and see, oh, do I like doing this? No. Okay. That's okay. Like, I don't have to do that anymore. I can go do this or I can do that. So yeah, I love that. Uh, I have a question that's kind of uh, a little bit off topic, but yeah. um, as I was looking through your Instagram and I just saw this post that I just thought was so refreshing. And we were talking a little bit about how you and your husband are fi fixing up the van. And so in mm -hmm. this post, you got really, really honest about how the two of you were kind of fighting with each other and like not actually being that nice to each other, <laughs> which I just thought was so great that you just shared that. Um, and I could just like imagine you two like around your van and I don't know. <laughs> like throws a wrench or something I don't know but it just it was so refreshing so 
Um, why do you think that it is? So obviously you think it's really important to be really honest and to show mm -hmm. the actual, your actual life. And I know Grace says this a lot. Um, you word it so beautifully, Grace. How do you say it? Like highlight your real, not the yeah. highlight real, highlight your real mm -hmm. R-E-A-L. Can I say I that? love that. Yeah. Um, and so why is that so important? And, and how do you muster the courage to be so honest? Oh my gosh. So I think it's, it is a, a muscle that you practice of like being real with yourself. Well, first it's being real with yourself and then it's being real with the world. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's like, why would I hide that? You know, I, I just kind of asked myself that question. I'm like, you know, I, other people like just because, and I think redefining healthy marriage too is super mm. important to being like, okay, a healthy marriage doesn't mean that we don't fight or doesn't mean that we don't argue or doesn't mean that, you know, I don't get annoyed with him. Like, especially with the van bills. <laughs> no, this is a funny story. So whenever we got married, like he was super chill. Like I, I, he was always like super laid back and I, I was like the more uptight one uh -huh. until the van build. And <laughs> I saw this whole other side of him. I thought it was hilarious. He's like super perfectionist. Like everything has to be perfect. And then he would, I would be like sawing something and he'd be like watching me. Like, see if I was doing it right. And I'd be like, can you not watch me? Like, really? Like, and I am with the van. I was like, let's just like glue it together. Like, let's just get it, let's, like, let's get it, done. Let's get it done. And he was like, no, it has to be perfect. <laughs> and so like, I'm thankful for his perfection tendencies though, because he made a really kick-ass van. Like, it's super awesome. And, you know, I'm like, well done, babe. Um, but then I'm like, you know, you can't project that onto me. Like I, I got to do my own thing and I, I have to feel empowered to, you know, take the saw and, and do it. And so I just open communication about that and being like, okay, if I know, I understand you want this perfect, so I'm going to let you do it. I'm not going to like interfere with that. <laughs> if there's something I can help with, you know, let me know. I'm, I'd be happy to help. Otherwise I'm going to go inside or, you know, just take a break. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think, just being like super vulnerable with your partner is the first step b before you're being like vulnerable with the world too. Uh, and just being real with each other and knowing, you know, we're still learning about each other too. We've been together like four years now and we're still discovering new things and going through shit that we're going to keep going through. And I'm sure we're going to, we kept thinking like, you know, this Vanville has been like having a child, you know, like we don't sleep. We're like, constantly dirty we're like thinking of this is all we can think about like I've never we've never had kids but we call like our van our child right now and so I'm sure like when whenever we have a child we're gonna look back on the van and be like wow that was so easy like why did we think that was hard <laughs> yeah so yeah I think having perspective on your own problems really also enables you to share it and be like, okay, this is just like so silly, you know, even though we're fighting and it feels like a big deal right now. Cause like I stormed inside and I was like, stop watching me saw. Um, it's, it's not a big deal <laughs> and it's pretty funny. Yeah, that's so much fun. That's so exciting. I love reading about those things because I would love to have a tiny house and, mm. or like a, a, like redo it like a school bus and to like, yeah. Well, won't like travel, you know, but I just saw your seven and that's just a little bit, it's difficult to be able to do that <laughs> and stuff. So that's so yeah. much fun. So what does your life look like now, Allie, like going into the future? Like mm -hmm. what, you know, what are you planning? What are you dreaming of? What are you curious about? You know, what are all those kind of things for you? Totally. So my husband and I started some businesses that we're getting curious about, I would say. Um, and that has, is kind of our priority right now, even though we're traveling full time and like we really want to spend a lot of time enjoying the nature of where we are. We're really into hiking and backpacking and want to spend like as much time outdoors. We also really want to build these businesses that will sustain us so we don't have to go back to our jobs when the money runs out. And so that is a huge part of our focus right now is we have a, a baked goods company where we make muffins <laughs> and oh. mug cakes for the ketogenic diet <gasps> and the paleo diet. Oh my God. Can I sign up? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we, we have been, we had this idea like a year ago and now we finally, cause we live in the van, so we can't like produce muffins out of the van. 
So we finally got some uh, manufacturer who was going to produce the muffins for us and then ship them. And, and so we just do like the business development and the marketing and, and all that. So yeah, that is our big focus right now. Um, it's called Primal Noms, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, and then, yeah, I have my podcast that I really just love doing and have a, um, a blog and Instagram. And yeah, we're, we're just kind of seeing where that goes. But in seeing where that goes, I'm, we're being very strategic about it too. I'm, we're not just like, like oh, I'm just going to you know let this happen. We're like, we have business plans and we're actively pursuing our goals. So yeah, that's, that's what it looks like right now. <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. I didn't know about the muffin part of your business. So. Yeah. Matt is the muffin man. That's what I call him. <laughs> Are they like baked already or is it like a package and then people bake them at home? So we have a mug cake where it's just like a hot chocolate packet mm -hmm. and you just put an egg and butter and melt it in the microwave and then put the hot chocolate packet in it. And for a minute, it will, in a minute, oh it God. will yes. make it. <laughs> They're <laughs> yes. so good. I'm like <laughs> obsessed with that. Um, and then we also have a muffin product that is like ready made already, mm -hmm. but we've had trouble finding someone who will create that for us in a kitchen because we are a startup and a lot of the bigger like food, pro food manufacturing companies like don't want to work with startups because it's like high risk and mm -hmm. we have uh, a low minimum. We want to don't, we don't want to run like a hundred thousand pounds of muffins right when we start. So yeah, we haven't found someone to produce the muffins yet, but we do have the mug cakes. Those should be coming out later this month. So. Oh, yay. Awesome. <laughs> it's exciting. It's yeah. like, finally, and, and I think for anyone starting business too, I think just like having patience because everything takes so much longer than you expect. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, it yeah. so does. Yeah. That's been a definite wake up call for me and, mm -hmm. and, and just like figuring like you didn't come necessarily from an entrepreneur world. Yeah. And so it's like figuring that out is, is a process, which is part of staying curious too. Totally. Yeah. 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 And being okay with pivoting too. And, you know, it's, you, we started this entrepreneurial journey because we weren't happy with our jobs. Like let's not go into an entrepreneurial position where we don't like what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's huge. Like hating, ending up hating what you've created for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> do that. You're like, wait, I just recreated my life in the past. Like I didn't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about some awesome stuff today, you know, from your story to, um, you know, your, your business and, and all those super just fun things and staying curious. You know, I'm, I want to ask just some fun questions. Do you want to do that, Kimberly? Yeah. I actually just have one more kind of, oh, sure. just one more question. Uh, we kind of talked about, you know, the hats that, that girls wear or are encouraged mm -hmm. or not encouraged to wear. So with all of the hats that, that you've worn in your life, you know, daughter, wife, friend, traveler, engineer, business owner, you know, all of these, um, van fixer <laughs> with all of the different hats that you've worn, what have you learned about what it means to be human? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think it, I've learned that, that none of these hats really are that important. <laughs> that all these hats that we try to put ourselves in this box, like, and, and make ourselves presentable to the world in some way. Like I'm a wife, I'm an engineer. I have all this together. Like they're all like bullshit. Like just throw the box away, like throw the hats away, like just be okay with, with being yourself and be okay with wearing 40 hats or wearing the weirdest looking hat that everyone looks at and points at mm. uh, or not wearing a hat at all. Like, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. Wherever you're going, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think being human is so weird and it's, it's hard and it's really fun also. And so, yeah, I think, having some fun with it and and not feeling like we need to be in this box and we need to wear this hat to make ourselves presentable to the world um is really important and if you know if you want to wear a hat it's that's cool like wear that 
accounting hat. And if that's what you love to do, like wear it, but maybe like put your own sparkles on it. Like do, do you in that job? Like, don't feel like you have to, to succumb to what everyone else expects of you. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's a great analogy. (laughs) I love the hats. I don't even wear hats, but you know, (laughs) you are wearing one. (laughs) So I would love to know, these are just some fun questions um, that I like to ask people. Like what's on your nightstand? It's always so vast and so different. Mm. What is on, I know when Kimberly and I did our interview, she was talking about all these books. Books, yeah. <laughs> How many you had? So, what is on your nightstand, Ali? So, I don't have a nightstand because in the van, we don't. Van. <laughs> <laughs> Which says a lot about who you are. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, um, on the the spot closest to my bed, though, is is the Kindles. That's the closest. But honestly, I haven't. We haven't even busted them out. We've been in the van like full time a week now. And so I think we're just like still getting in the rhythm and we had the whole hacker incident, which just like took up 40 hours this past week. Um, so yeah, the, the Kindle's there, um, a water, water bottle and chapstick, always chapstick because I can't go to sleep without that and water. Yeah. I'm always drinking water. Thanks. Not very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Oh, condoms. I guess that's, (laughs) I'm not on the birth control pill and we don't want to have kids. So you can, you can edit that out if that's like not, (laughs) (laughs) we're we're having this like challenge this month where we're having sex every day and yeah, it's been good so far. It's, I mean, great so far, obviously, but (laughs) It's been like, we noticed like we were just not having sex that much. And we were like, we want to have more sex. So let's do it. Let's like make ourselves a commitment that we're going to do it every day, even when we're tired and we don't feel like it. So yeah, yeah. that's been fun. Yeah. What six days in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it. That, there was a TV show about that like a couple of years back, like seven. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking to anybody? No, <laughs> what is this? Like, seven days of sex or something Mm. like that and how it, you know, some people, I think it was actually more than that, but marriages and, and just getting back into like embracing that and enjoying each other Mm. and not being so stressed about it. Mm Yeah. 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 We read this book or we were listening to this book called girl, wash your face. Oh Uh, yeah. Have you heard of it? Yeah. I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was talking about how her and her husband did that for a month where they like had sex every day and just giving yourself like permission to do whatever you want to in the bedroom. Like it's, you don't have to follow this prescribed, um, notion of like what's acceptable. So yeah. And she was like, she, she's like a conservative Christian too. And so she was like, I can't talk about sex. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry to my mother-in-law who's reading this. Like, well, (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was so funny. funny or like the lie that, you know, I'm bad at sex, I think is yeah. a good chapter. Yeah, it was good. It was a good mm-hmm. chapter. Yeah, I love that. If anybody is listening and you're thinking um, about that book, I totally recommend that. Yeah. Me too. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are some of your guilty pleasures right now? Ooh, I try not to feel guilty about pleasures. So I try to give myself permission to do things that that make me feel really amazing. Um, but I would say my one that has always I still feel a little twinge of guilt about is the is chips and salsa <laughs> <laughs> because we do do the keto diet um, and we're not on it right now. But whenever we're not on it, like we we rotate in and out of it. But whenever we're not on it, like we find ourselves just eating chips and salsa like. <laughs> every day. (laughs) Do you make your own salsa? No, we don't. I've always wanted to. Do you? No. (laughs) No, we like really spicy, like the hotter, the better. And yeah, we could eat like a whole tub of salsa in one sitting. So it's (laughs) Costco size or (laughs) (laughs) no, not that. We're not there yet. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, (laughs) What is one of your favorite quotes? Ooh, I think 
we can do hard things is something like I always repeat to myself whenever I'm in a, a moment where I feel super overwhelmed or I feel like the world is against me. I'm just like, you know what? Like we can do hard things. Like I can do whatever this hard thing is. For instance, like building the van. Uh, that was totally outside of my skill set. Like I am not a handy person. I didn't even know how to put air in my tires. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything. Uh, and same with my husband. Like he's never done carpentry or woodworking. He's, he's more handy though. He's like, he knows how to use drills and stuff. And that was all new to me. Um, <laughs> and so just being accepting that I'm going to mess up and, but I know I can do this hard thing that is hard for me right now. Like being, doing the van is like a very physical representation of like doing something that's hard. Um, but just even when you're like in the mud and, you know, something happens to you, if you, I, I always just like repeat myself, repeat to myself that like I have, I can do hard things. Like even in the past, I've overcome whatever's happened and I'll overcome it again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. And the van is like a obvious rep representation of that. That's so good. <laughs> yeah, even just living your life, what you're doing right now, you know, it's kind of hard and scary. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur and you're doing it, you know, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can, um, listeners connect with you? Cause I know they're going to want to. So where are some places that they can go and find you? So I have a podcast it's called aligned and alive and that's available all over the podcasting world. And then I have Instagram, which is where I mostly hang out on social media. That is Align with Allie, A-L-L-I. And then I have a website where I post like blog posts and stuff at AllieOwen.com. Yeah. So can they find your muffins and your keto muffins there? Oh, yeah. Paleo noms. Primal noms. Primal noms. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Primal noms. We have Instagram, primal underscore noms, and then website, primalnoms.com. So that's where you can check out the muffins. <laughs> we, yeah, we we made the muffins in the van the other day because we have a microwave, so we can, we don't have an oven, so we can't like make, you know, but we can, we can throw it in the microwave and it was so fun. We were like overlooking and we were in Colorado, like overlooking the mountains and just like eating a mug cake. It was really nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like goals, that's so <laughs> Yeah. Cakes and mountains. <laughs> Well, it's been so fun chatting with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yes. Yeah, thank you both for having me on. This was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, so powerful too. Hey guys, we need to talk. I just wanted to take a moment and thank you so much for being here, for being part of this incredible, amazing tribe and just amazing community. You know, it takes a lot for someone